0: Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn together to 2 Peter chapter 3. Uh, Lord willing, this morning we'll conclude our study here of this particular book. We've been in this book for many weeks, uh, dating all the way back to the first part of the year. And we thank God for the lessons that we've learned uh, along the way. Uh, Remember, Peter's writing at the very end of his life. And he's writing uh, this book of exhortation to God's people encouraging them to keep their eyes upon the Lord, and even in the midst of, tr- of trouble and trial, uh, recognizing that God is faithful and that we have an inheritance, uh, we have a relationship with Christ that is firm and established for all eternity. Aren't you thankful uh, for the salvation that God has given to you this morning? And as we look here, just kind of... Re- I want to remind you um, of the, the past 11 messages that we've looked here, we found in this particular book. If we look back in chapter 1, we find in verses 1-4 through 4 the subject of like-precious faith. We all have like-precious faith, and we consider uh, that our faith is precious. Why? Because uh, Jesus Christ is precious. Aren't you thankful that Christ is precious? If Everything relating to Christ, His person, His work in our lives, is precious. And then if you remember in verses 5-11 through of chapter 1, we saw the truth of these things and how the Lord has given these things to be implemented in our lives. There's a great list there, beginning in verses 5, 6, and 7, that we need God's grace and help to grow in and to become more like Christ. And then he he calls us to remembrance. Uh, Several times in chapter 1, we read the word remembrance, which is truly a call to revival. Uh, going back to the things that we uh, already understood and know, but at some time in the past had forgotten and erred and strayed away. But God's calling us to return. He also tells us about the Word of God. Aren't you thankful for the Bible? The Bible says, it teaches us in verses 16 through 21 of chapter 1, really in verse number 19, it says you do well that you take heed. Uh, There's no greater decision that you can make today uh, than to know and obey God's Word. We find also uh, in chapter 2, as it begins, there's a great warning in chapter 2. It's a warning surrounding false prophets. The Bible says there were false prophets also among the people. And then, thankfully, we find a great promise given in chapter 2, in verses uh, verses 4 through 9. The great statement is, if God. Aren't you thankful that God is able uh, to deliver God's people uh, from, from destruction and from temptation. Then we find the madness of the prophet and how, how silly these false teachers actually are. How, how crazy and how absurd they are. And, and unfortunately, those who follow them can often at times be described as mad as well. Because things just don't make sense. And it tells us that we're brought in bondage to sin in verses, uh, verses 17 through 22 of chapter 2. But over the last few weeks, we've seen three concluding lessons here. The call to be mindful and to be not ignorant. And last week we saw the call to be diligent. And if you're able this morning, I invite you to stand with me. We're going to read this chapter one more time. In 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse number 1, we'll read the end of this chapter. We'll note the final lesson together today. The Bible says this in 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse number 1. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of the apostles of the Lord and Savior, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was uh, being overflowed with water perished, but the heaven and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to usward not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come, as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass, with, uh, pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, "...wherein the heavens, being on fire, shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent, that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. And account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation." "...even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, uh, speaking in them of of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures under their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware." lest ye also being led away with the error of the wicked fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in grace, and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Father, we thank You for the Word of God this morning. And Lord, our prayer is that You would help us today to know and obey Your Word. Father, we ask today that you would give us guidance and give us help, that your Spirit would bear witness with our spirit, that you confirm these things in our own hearts and and lead us to make proper decisions. Lord, we pray that you'd open our eyes, that we may behold wondrous things from thy law. Lord, help us to simply be obedient today. Father, even as we've read the passage of Scripture, may we all be purposed, even now, May we make the decision, may we say to you now in this very moment that I will obey. Lord, help us do what you say. Lord, you tell your disciples, if you love me, keep my commandments. Lord, we love you. Help us obey your word. And Father, if there's someone here this morning who doesn't know Christ as their Savior, Father, our prayer for them is that today would be the day of their salvation. And we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you're in the habit of marking things in your Bibles, I'd like to draw your attention to the final lesson that we learn here in this chapter. In verse number 17, the Bible says, Ye therefore, beloved, would you mark the word beloved? This is an endearing term. This is not a command. The Lord is not uh, condemning his people. He's not calling them some crazy uh, name. He, he's referring to us affectionately. And he says, Beloved, and then there's another word in the same verse. It's the word, Beware. Seeing ye uh, know these things before, notice, he says, Beware, lest ye also being led away with the error of the wicked fall from your own steadfastness. Beloved, Beware. What does this word beware actually mean? You know, sometimes we think of, as we're out walking, we've got in our, in our, in our backyard, we've got a, a, a collie. She looks just like Lassie, not as obedient. And if our boys fell down a well, I'm not sure she'd come and get us. Uh, but we have a dog, and, and in the backyard, we have, uh, it's a fenced-in yard. On the backyard, there's a sign that says, beware of dogs. Uh, So the word beware oftentimes carries with it this this concern of danger. Hey, you need to watch out here. Uh, You need to to, to pay close attention. I remember we were in the Philippines several years ago, and we were in uh, in Manila and just kind of walking through these great crowds of people. And and even before we got off the airplane, uh, we were given instructions saying, hey, watch your personal belongings beware of pickpocketers. These guys are so slick, they would come up and they would have like a razor blade and they would just cut the bottom of your backpack and all of your belongings would fall out and hey, now they belong to them. We need to beware of some things. We're living in a society today where where there's much divisiveness being, uh, being levied against the people. But may I tell you, more than just a socioeconomic thing, more than than some political thing, there is a spiritual war taking place. And may I tell you, we can look at all of the problems our world is facing, and the greatest problem that we see rests not in politics, rests not in an economy, it rests in the heart of man. It is a spiritual problem. And may I tell you this morning that you and I, as God's people, we need to beware. We need to be on guard. Remember, in chapter 2, we find that the apostle is warning us concerning false prophets and false teachers. Look back in chapter 2 and read verse number 1 with me. He says, but, the, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. May, may we understand that not everyone who cracks open the pages of God's word is honest. I know that's hard to believe, right? I've been working on my smile, but uh, we understand that, that it doesn't matter how, how pearly white someone's teeth are, no matter how uh, charismatic their, their presentation is, truth is truth, error is error, and God has called you and me to be on guard. As we look back even in chapter, in, in chapter 3 and verse number 17, I want you to take great note of the word beware. We're going to define it here. The word beware carries the emphasis of isolation. Now, we are people that, we, you know, we live in the world, we're not to be of the world. What is this matter of isolation? I, uh, even God in creation looked at Adam and said, it's not good for man to be alone. So is, he, or is this a... A, a social isolation that, that God is speaking of? I believe it, it implies that. You see, the, 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 well, the emphasis here is, is isolation, but it's to guard against error and false doctrine through the truth of separation. I want you to note something here. So oftentimes, uh, we, we fail. We want to be friends with everybody, don't we? But how many of you would know somebody that has a friend that's just not good for them? Anybody? Yeah, hey, I I know someone, maybe it's a family member. They're stuck in a relationship, in an abusive relationship. Someone is is maniacal. Uh, Someone's manipulative, uh, bringing great injury and harm and hurt to that person. The same is true spiritually. You know, we look and we see all the great heartache uh, that is brought about by someone who doesn't genuinely love or care about, about somebody, the same is true for false teachers and false, uh, false preachers. They only care for themselves. Uh, they, they don't care about you. They're, they're just looking to gain from you. What can I get from you today? They're trying to take advantage of God's people and build unto themselves a kingdom. The reality is, however, God has called us to beware. The Bible, Jesus told his, his disciples that they were to be wise as serpents harmless as doves. We need to understand that there's a great need in life to separate from false doctrine. You think of someone who goes to a church. I know there's, there's lots of churches in, in and around this area, but not every church is a good church. Uh, some churches, they, they don't believe God's Word. Uh, they, they make all kinds of excuses as to why uh, God's Word is wrong. You know what, my favorite quote that I despise the most is that, you know, God could have said it better this way. Well, I'm pretty sure if he could have, he would have. I mean, he's God after all, right? But the reality is you and I have been given God's word, and it's our guide. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way, but by taking heed thereto according to thy word? We see the great power and blessing of God's word in the life of God's people. Our heart's desire is to simply obey the word of God. You realize that God's word is not difficult. God's word is, is easy to read and easy to understand. I remember when I was younger, I didn't think that way. Thought, oh man, God's word is so hard to read. All the, all the these and the thous and the e's and the yeas and all, all of these words. And, and, and you realize that, that we are wrong. The more you do anything, the easier it becomes. How many of you would agree with that? You know, right now, I don't think I could go out and run a mile. I could try, but I would probably fail, and I might be able to make it, but it would be miserable the whole time. Why? Because I have a philosophy. I don't run unless I'm being chased. And I can't tell you the last time I was chased. But we recognize that there's, there's, there's a danger that lurks. Remember what the Lord said. Look back in First in Peter, please. In First Peter, in verse number uh, eight of chapter five of First Peter, the Bible says this: He says, "Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour." To whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Understand that the devil is out to sift God's people. Remember what Jesus told the Apostle Peter. He says, Satan hath desired to to have you. They may sift you as wheat. He he wants, see, the Lord wants us to separate to Jesus Christ and to truth. Whereas the devil, he also wants us to separate from truth into his error. We must be very, very cautious. I want you to note a few verses, a few passages this morning by way of introduction concerning the importance of our association. Considering that this isolation, this separation from false doctrine is necessary. Look what the Bible says, if you would please, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we note here uh, perhaps a a very simple verse. Maybe you've heard it at times in your life, but it's it's important to to recognize and, and obey. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in verse number 33, the Bible says, Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. How many of you have ever seen a group of teenage boys? Yeah. You know what there's there's a law that we would use to describe their behavior. It's the law of the lowest common denominator. You know there's there's a group that say there's there's five young men in this in this in this posse. And and all and there's four of those young men that love God that want to please the Lord with their lives but then there's one joker in the midst who couldn't care less about the Lord, who was rebellious, who was rude and crude and vile, what happens? Jesus says, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Do you realize that those four young men will be more negatively influenced by that young man than, that, than they will positively influence that young man. Evil communications corrupt good manners. The Lord calls us to separate. Look what the Bible says, if you would please, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, I want you to notice what the Lord is saying here. And beginning in verse number 14, we'll read down to the end of the chapter. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the the temple of the living God, and God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. In verse 17, take note of what the Lord says. He says, Wherefore come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. You see, there's a great, a great command here to come out and to separate from ungodliness. Christians, you must beware. You see, what the Apostle Peter is writing in 2 Peter chapter 3 is the remedy for victory. Do you want victory in your Christian life? I know I personally desire to have victory and to live in revival. That's my prayer for myself. And I trust that's your prayer for your life as well. But the reality is the children of Israel failed. And as we look back in 2 Peter chapter 2, notice what the Bible says. He's, he makes reference here again in verse 1 of chapter 2. He says, I don't know if I got there. Uh, he says, um, But there were false prophets also among the people. Among the people. As we think back in the Old Testament, we consider the grace of God how the lord delivered the nation of israel out of bondage in egypt where they had been for 400 years and god through his his grace and providence allowed joseph to become the prime minister over egypt and in time of famine uh, jacob and his and his sons with their families went and and retreated to Israel, uh, to, to, into Egypt where they, where they found refuge and, and sustenance, and where they, they multiplied and grew and became a great and mighty nation, and, and then God delivered them through the ten plagues. What a mighty God we serve. But I want you to notice something here. In the book of Exodus, I want you to look back with me if you would please, in Exodus chapter number 12. Exodus chapter 12, we note something here that God mentions and makes great note of. And at times, if you've read this, you, we, we may have just kind of glanced over it. So, so, the Passover has now come. The tenth plague. Uh, the firstborn of every home in Egypt has died. Because they did not apply the blood uh, to the doorposts and to the lentils. And when the angel passed over, he killed the firstborn of every home. From the greatest in the land of Egypt... From the house of Pharaoh down to the poorest of poor. But this was the final plague. There were already nine plagues that were previously unleashed upon the land of Egypt. And they left Egypt decimated. Who would want to live there? When there's no food in Egypt now. All the crops have been, have been destroyed. All these plagues have been poured out and the, the, the land is desolate. And the Bible says this in, in Exodus chapter 12, beginning, look in verse number 6, And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they lent unto them such things as they required, and they spoiled the Egyptians. So, so, they, so the Egyptians are now being expelled from the land of Egypt. Or the Israelites are being expelled from the land of Egypt. And the Bible says in verse 37, And the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses, Unto Sulkoth, about 600,000 on foot that were men beside children. That's a great multitude of people. But I want you to notice what the Bible says in verse number 38 And a mixed multitude went up also with them, and flocks, and herds, and very much cattle. There was a mixed multitude. What is this mixed multitude? Have you ever given any consideration to this? These were Egyptians, people who did not believe in Jehovah God. People who, having seen all the great destruction that God poured out upon the land, came to themselves and realized, hey, we're going too, because there's nothing left for us here. And this mixed multitude of people, they journeyed with Israel through the wilderness. And you know what the the problem with this mixed multitude was? They were a thorn in Israel's side. Repeatedly, they they caused Israel through their murmuring, through their grumbling, through their complaining, uh, to, to complain against God and to backslide and to become trapped and ensnared in false doctrine and false practice. Unfortunately, this is not the only time a mixed multitude is recorded in the Old Testament concerning Israel. will not you turn with me, if you would please, to the book of Nehemiah. The book of Nehemiah. So God, God wrought a great work. We're studying in our Sunday school hour uh, the book of Ezra and how God called Zerubbabel to go back and, and lay the foundation of the temple and to build, uh, rebuild the temple that had been destroyed by the Babylonians some 70 years prior. And Ezra comes in, this ready, scribes, encourages the people, and, and great revival breaks out. But then there's another man that God used mightily, and a man named Nehemiah, who, who came back and, and rallied the children of Israel after hearing a, the, the tragic news that the walls of Jerusalem still were laying waste, and, and that the people were, were being oppressed by the, by the inhabitants of the land. So he goes back and and he leads the children of Israel to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and does it in record-setting time. God accomplishes a great work. And then something happens. They read the Word of God. They read the Word of God. And God accomplishes a mighty work. In their lives, look what the Bible says in Nehemiah chapter 13, beginning in verse number one. He says, "On that day they read in the book of Moses in the audience of the people, and therein was found written that the Ammonites and the Moabites should not come in the congregation of God forever." And the Bible makes a statement in verse number thir- in verse number two because they met not the children of Israel with bread and with water. But hired Balaam against them that he should accuse them, howbeit our God turned the curse into a blessing. So God makes the state God comes and he says, "Hey, listen here, there's the need for separation. How many of you are aware that things that are different are not the same? The children of, of Israel they had, they had allowed in their midst, these Moabites, the Ammonites or the people of the land, and, and you know what they had done? They had married, they had given themselves in marriage, they had transgressed the law of God in so doing. And the Bible says this in verse three. It says, "Now it came to pass when they had heard the law that they separated from Israel all the mixed multitude. They separated." Come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. Christians, beloved, beware. Nothing will steal your victory in your Christian life more than unbeliever's. More than people who, who don't believe the word of God, people who are living in rebellion. But the Lord wants you and me to have victory. So what then is the remedy that God prescribes? Well, as we look back in Second in Peter. We're reminded of of many great truths. But before we look at those, let me ask you a question. How would you define your life? How would you define your Christian life? Is it victorious? Because that's, that's the desire that God has. None of the commandments that God gives, whether it's a thou shalt or thou shalt not, none of God's commandments are intended to be negative to God's people. They are all for for His glory and our good. So how is our lives? What what are we mingling ourselves with? I want you to notice three lessons that we learn that will help us understand how we can have a victorious Christian life. Do you want to live in victory? Are you tired of defeat? Are you tired of the Of the pendulum swings? Are you tired of the valleys? Now, sometimes the valleys are unavoidable, but even in the valley, God is good. I want you to notice the first lesson that we find is that we must not lose sight of our salvation. Don't lose the wonder of your salvation. I want you to look back in 2 Peter chapter 3 and notice what the Bible says beginning in verse number 15. It says, In account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. Amen. The long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. Aren't you thankful for salvation? Never lose sight of the great gift that God has given you and me in salvation which is only by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible says this again in verse 15, it says, Even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. Understand this long-suffering of God means that you and I are saved because God is long-suffering. Do you realize that? Jesus died on the cross. He paid the penalty for our sin. He rose in victory from the grave. He lived on this earth after his resurrection for 43 days In Acts chapter number 1, it describes how the Lord, standing on the top of the Mount of Olives, was ascended back to heaven. But he he promised, and the angel said, the same Jesus shall come again in like manner. Jesus is coming back, but the fact is he hasn't yet. Why? Because he's long-suffering. And because the Lord is long-suffering, that allowed you and me to come to know him as our Savior. What a great blessing it is to know Jesus. But don't lose the wonder of your salvation. Have you ever lost the wonder of your salvation? Have you forgotten just how good and gracious the Lord truly is? Do you realize that none of us deserve it? I don't deserve salvation. You know why? Because I'm a sinner. I'm a wicked, terrible, awful, sinful man. But I am what I am by the grace of God. I want you to consider the Apostle Paul's testimony this morning. I want you to look back with me in the book of Acts, please. In the book of Acts, in chapter 7, we are introduced to this man, Paul. Paul who at the time was not named Paul. His name was Saul. He was Saul of Tarsus. He was a a Pharisee. He was a zealous man. He was zealous in the wrong things. In Acts chapter 7, we find that, that he hears the preaching of a faithful deacon of the church in Jerusalem named Stephen. And everybody that hears Stephen preach Jesus Christ is infuriated. That's usually the result. People will either love the Lord or hate the Lord. They can't, you'll never have it both ways. Jesus, the name Jesus always brings a response, doesn't it? Well, they hated Him. And in Acts chapter 7, we find here, the Bible says this, concerning uh, verse 58, it says, And cast him out of the city and stoned him. Speaking of Stephen, this man that has preached the gospel, and witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. So here we have this man, Saul. What he is doing here, all of these people that are expressing this great vehement hatred and that are stoning this man to death, martyring Stephen for his faith, they've taken their jackets off and they've laid him at Saul's feet. And Saul's standing there, even though he may have not picked up a stone, just by his very presence and not stopping them, He gave his commendation. He consented to the death of Stephen. The Bible goes on to say, And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. means he died physically. And the Bible says this, in verse 1 of chapter 8, and Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution among the church. And you know who was the char- in charge of this persecution? Saul. He had received letters uh, from the chief priests and from the elders, and he was, they commissioned him to go and, and hail others to prison. Put others to death. Look what the Bible says in chapter number nine and verse one, and Saul yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter. It was, these were not idle threats. This was a vile, or I'm sorry, a violent attempt to exterminate God's people, the church. The word slaughter. How many of you have ever eaten a hamburger? Where does that come from? It comes from a slaughterhouse. Right? It's it's very it's a very barbaric word, isn't it? Slaughter? That was my favorite G.I. Joe. Sergeant slaughter. But a very barbaric term, isn't it? The Bible says against the disciples of the Lord went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? As if he didn't know, obviously. And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And on that day, the Apostle Paul, who would would become the Apostle Paul, this Saul of Tarsus, was gloriously saved. And you know what? He never lost the wonder of it. I want you to consider what he said to young Timothy in, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. He says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry. What a, what a great testimony the Lord had in Paul's life. This man who was a murderer, who slaughtered God's people, is now a preacher of God's word. And he said, Who was before a blasphemer, and a persecutor, and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. He never forgot how, how lonely He was how wretched he was. How sinful he was. He was the chiefest of all sinners, he says. But God is merciful and gracious and saved him who was a wretch. You know what he says? Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. What is this pattern? It means that if he could do it for Saul, who was a murderer, who was a thug, he can do it for you. turn with me if you would please to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. Lest we become too high and mighty <laughs> in our own minds. Well, I never killed anybody. I'm not a slaughterer, right? I'm not a persecutor. I'm not Paul. I'm not a murderous thug. Well, listen to what he says. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse number 9, the Bible says, Know ye not that the un- unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And all of God's people said, Amen, right? Hold on a minute. Hold on. Hold your horses. Can you imagine the church at Corinth? I mean, they were wicked, vile people. They were were a a rowdy bunch. But Paul, Paul doesn't stop there. And he makes the statement he says in verse 11 and such were some of you for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And such were some of you but ye are washed but ye are sanctified but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. Don't forget How good you've got it in Jesus Christ. Don't lose the wonder of your salvation. There's a chorus, maybe we'll try to find it. It says, I have never lost the wonder of it all. I have never lost the wonder of it all. Since the day that Jesus saved me. And a whole new life He gave me. I have never lost the wonder of it all. Christian, don't lose the wonder of it all. That's the second lesson that we find this morning. As we look back in Second in Peter chapter 3, we find the exhortation to keep believing God's Word. Keep believing God's Word. The Bible says this in verses 16 and 17, as also in all, all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood. Do you realize that, that sometimes it's hard to understand the Bible? The, that term hard to be understood means to, uh, refers to perceiving truth with the mind. But I'm here to tell you, the word of god it's not a matter of the mind so much as it is the heart the bible says this in 1 corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14 but the natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit of god for they are foolishness unto him neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned it's not so much a matter of the mind as it is the heart the Bible goes on to say, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest. To be unlearned means to be ill informed or untaught. To be unstable means to, to not firmly be set or, or be established. Really, an unbalanced life is what that means. And the Bible says this in James chapter 1 and verse 8 that a, a double minded man is unstable in all his ways. And he says, he makes the statement, he goes on to say, uh, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest. What does that word rest mean? It means, it means really to be tortured by twisting. Uh, so these, these unbelievers, they, these people who are unlearned and unstable, who, who cannot understand the truth of God's word because it's spiritually discerned, they take it and they distort it and they twist it and they torture it. They take it out of context, they they misinterpret it, they misapply it, and they do great harm. It's a warning. I don't want to be like that. I want to keep believing the Bible. Consider Paul's similar warning to the church in Colossae. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8, he says this, Beware, there's, there's that word again, beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy... And vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. We must beware. The Bible says this in in 2 Timothy. Would you look there with me, if you would, please? In 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse number 14, it says, Of these things, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord, that they strive not about words to no profit but to the subverting of the hearers. So we must be careful. There are words that help, and there are words that hurt. False teaching, false doctrine, does nothing more than hurt and injure you spiritually. God wants what's best for His people. How do we do that? Well, look what the Bible says in verse 15 of 2 Peter chapter 2. He says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, A workman that needeth not to be ashamed. And notice the last part of the verse rightly dividing the word of truth. The Bible is a literal book. God's word is very simply understood. We read it in the historical, grammatical, and cultural context. We understand, we need to practice. Here's a a great word for us this morning. The blessing of biblical hermeneutics. The right manner of Bible interpretation. Understanding that the church and Israel, they're not the same thing. That the the blessings and curses of Israel are literal. They're not figurative. they're, They're literal. And that God's Word needs to be read and understood as literal. It's figurative where it's obviously figurative speech. We don't seek to manipulate the Word of God. Context is always king. But that's why it's important that we study God's Word. I've got on my desk a stack of books that I'm reading, that I'm researching. But may I tell you, I never Resort to the work of someone else. I first and always first read the Word of God for myself. Because the author lives within my heart. And if I have a difficult time understanding what the Word of God says, all I must do is pause and ask the author, Lord, show me what this means! He's right there. He can guide us into all truth. Read John chapter 14, 15, and 16. Speaks of the ministry of the Spirit of God in one's life. Believe the Bible, Christians. Ye do well, remember, ye do well that ye take heed. Listen to what the psalmist desired. He he describes his desire and admiration for God's Word. In Psalm 119, verses 15 and 16, he says, I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy words. Psalm 119, verse 30 says, I have chosen thy, uh, the way of truth. Thy judgments have I laid before me. Psalm 119, verses 46 and 47. He says, I will speak of thy testimonies also before kings and will not be ashamed, and I will delight myself in thy commandments, which I, which I have loved. Psalm 119, verse 72 says, The law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. God's word is great, isn't it? It's essential. God's word is essential. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 17, the Bible says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Show me a strong Christian, and we'll find that he's a person of of the book. What's the final lesson that we find here this morning? This remedy for victory. Never lose the wonder of your salvation. Keep believing the Bible. Notice finally, grow in your walk with Christ. You have have not attained. You will never get to the point in your life where you have arrived. Look what the Bible says in verse 18. In my my Bible, I have this, this book or this verse highlighted and marked in a distinguishable way. In verse 18, the Bible says, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So who am I to grow in? I'm going to grow in Jesus. So oftentimes we make the objective the wrong thing. We make the byproduct the objective. You know, it's easy to look the part. But it takes great work to be the part. And I don't want to be a I don't want to be a counterfeit. I want to be the real deal. Friends, do you want to be the real deal? I don't want to just go through the motions. I don't want to look right. I don't want to talk right. I want to be right. Amen. How is that achieved? Only through Christ. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Will you make Christ the goal? Jesus has to be your goal. Won't you look with me if you would please in, in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, this, your daily experience with God, I want to know Him. I want to know Him more today than I did yesterday. I want to see God work and move in my life like I've never witnessed before. I want to know the Lord firsthand. To have that daily experience with God that bolsters my faith. And that propels me down the road to victory in my Christian life. That's what I crave. That's what I want. But, but it has to be personal. You can't live off of my faith. Nor can I live off of yours. The Bible says this in Romans Chapter 5, in verse number 1, it says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. This grace. What is this grace? We are told by Peter to grow in grace. We're to grow in this Christian life, in this matter of victory and godliness and Christ-likeness. He says this in verse 3 and not only so but we glory in tribulations also knowing that tribulation worketh patience and patience experience and experience hope and hope maketh not a shame because the love of God is, spread, is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. That experience brings hope. Understanding that everything in life though, though life is difficult though life is hard though we don't at times understand why things happen the way they do. What we understand is that God is still good and that God is still gracious and no matter how hard it is it's going to be okay. Why? Because you're growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who has said I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. As we close this morning, won't you turn with me if you would please to the book of Philippians. See, Paul, who is perhaps the greatest Christian man the world has ever known, the writer of 14 New Testament epistles, shared a profound testimony as he recognized his personal need to grow in grace. In Philippians chapter number 3, the Bible says this, beginning in verse number 8. He says, Yea, doubtless... which is of God by faith that I may know Him. And the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Notice in verse 12, He says, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. He says, but I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. He says, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. He says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He says in verse 15, let us therefore as many as be perfect be thus minded. And if any man... I'm sorry, and if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal this unto you. What's your mind? May we be minded to pursue Jesus Christ. May we be minded of our Lord. May we keep Him as our goal. May, may we pursue Jesus in a deeper knowledge of Him as we walk with Him moment by moment hour by hour, day by day, month by month, year by year, may we not cease, may we continue to pursue our Savior. Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. We cannot be what Christ wants us to be unless He makes us that way. It's the work of God. Do you want to know Him? We sang a song a little while ago, more, more about Jesus. More of His saving fullness, see more of His love who died for me. Beloved, beware. Don't get caught up in all these other things. Don't lose your victory. Don't lose the wonder of it all. Keep believing God's Word and keep growing in your walk with Christ. Let's all stand together with our heads bowed and our eyes closed.